Welcome to Coaching Culture, the podcast where we discuss how we can use sports and not let them use us. I'm JP Nervin, the founder of Thrive On Challenge, and the mission for this podcast is to connect leaders in athletics to help us create a transformational culture by building leadership and character. Now let's get started. Welcome to episode 51 of Coaching Culture, looking through our values. I'm JP Nervin, joined by my co-host, Nate Sanderson. Today's episode is part four of a four-part series we've been doing on our coaching manifesto, which is essentially a formal or informal process of internal discovery, knowing who we are as a coach, why we coach, what do we value, and now in today's episode, how we live. Nate and I are going to share some personal experiences of our own that highlight why we believe this is possibly the most important part of this internal process. Now, near the end of this episode, we're gonna give you a few activities and a couple disciplines to implement. We've found these to be helpful in reflecting and aligning our behaviors with who we wanna be and what we value. So let's get going. JP, last week we spent some time talking about identifying our personal values, our core values as a person and, and hopefully those that will manifest themselves in our parenting and in our coaching. So this week, we want to talk a little bit more about when those values meet the road, right? When the rubber meets the road in terms of our behaviors, what are ways that we can ensure that our values are actually having an impact in our daily life, that we're living in our interactions with others, in our behaviors, in our responses to situations in ways that are consistent with the person that we said and the values that we held on to or hold on to, um, how can we be as consistent and aligned as possible between our behaviors and our values? So we're going to steal from uh, relatively famous sports psychologist Jerry Lynch, who you and I got to see in Boulder uh, earlier this summer. He's done a lot of work with Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr and dozens of college programs throughout his career. And he likes to use these three questions that we're going to frame our conversation about here today. And that is that when you're looking to make a change, whether that's personally or in your program culture and how you parent your in your family, there's really three key things that you can look at. Number one, what do I need to stop doing to be more consistent with my values? Number two, what do I need to keep doing that is already consistent with who I want to be? And number three, what do I want to start doing to be more consistent with the values that I that I claim that are most important to me? And we're going to look at those three questions kind of through some opportunities that we run into in our daily lives that might lend us to reflecting along those lines. And I'm going to set you up here with the first one. When we think about being able to identify behaviors that we need to stop doing because they are inconsistent with who we want to be, oftentimes those can be brought to our attention by other people around us, right? People that are aware of our values, whether they're close friends of ours, whether we run around with them in our daily life, maybe as a coach, they, they know who you're espousing to be in your program, and yet when they see inconsistencies and they provide us feedback, this gives us a chance to look at some things and identify some things that we may need to stop doing in order to live our life according to our values. Why don't you tell us a story along those lines? Well, you know, I've mentioned John Wooden numerous times on this podcast, but to say that I was a bit of a John Wooden junkie when I started out in coaching would be kind of an understatement, Nate, because I literally, when as soon as I got into coaching, I read every book I could get my hands on that was about him, that he wrote, and I really wanted to become the next John Wooden. Like that was that was like my vision of the great coach, uh, of great coaching. And so, um, and it, I really I kind of reflected in a lot of things that I would talk about and the things that I would, um, you know, post on the walls of my office and the locker room. And 
And, you know, I literally would actually go around practices and I would try to use his maxims, his little sayings of like, be quick, don't hurry and things like that to the players as, as ways to motivate them and to, to build character. And at the end, beginning of every year, I'd always hand out, you know, uh, you know, a, a paper sheet of the, of the pyramid of success that he was famous for, which outlined all his 15 values, the 15 qualities that he wanted to demonstrate it and to, you know, his players to demonstrate on and off the court of basketball. Um, and there was even certain behaviors of Wooden that I would try to mimic. You know, I always remembered him talking about how when he, when a game was over and he was walking off the court, he didn't want people to be able to tell whether he won or lost. And so I actually got pretty darn good at that. Like, of you know, just having a stoic face and, and this efforts to be more like John Wooden. The problem was, now, the 32 minutes before the end of that game, you could just tell whether I was winning or losing by looking at my behavior on the sidelines, right? So as much as I was aspiring to be the John Wooden, the next John Wooden, I was very, very, very far from actually being John Wooden in the way that I behaved. And so there's this one Friday night game years later into my coaching, and you know I really, really lost my cool with my players. I was swearing, you know, cursing at them in the, in the locker room after the game. Um, you know, really calling them out. And the next morning we have a Saturday practice and a parent of one of the freshmen comes in to talk with me. And this parent, I respected, you know, everything I knew about this parent, uh, I respected him as a person. And he came by and he just asked if he, if he could just sit down and talk to me. And so, um, so we sit down and he, he starts off by saying, you know, I sent my son here to the school. And one of the reasons you know, I was so excited for him to come here was because I saw the, the things that you put up on your locker room walls. I see clear, clearly here you you really value or you really respect this guy like John Wooden. And I hear all the things that you talk about to the players. And I hear all the things you talk about to, to, to us as parents. And you shared about your program and really the things that you value. And that really got me excited. But the reality is I've seen already that the players you put on the court come game time they don't really demonstrate any of those values. That's not how you decide who plays. That's not just how you decide who makes the team. But more importantly, I don't see any of those values really reflected in your behavior come game time when, when, there's, when, the, when, the, when there's pressure. You know, in the way that you're talking to referees, the way you're criticizing the players. And I know that's not the turf person that you want to be because, you know, you've claimed to value these things. And I just thought I'd let you know that. And when that parent told me that I mean it was I knew he was right right like it was a really hard truth to swallow um, and as that was kind of difficult to hear that but it started to help me to really reflect and to really think about whoa do my behaviors actually align with my values and you know I started slowly to realize that they didn't one of the things I think we're trying to encourage coaches to do in this series is to be able to reflect through experiences like that by by framing that feedback, and in this case, that criticism, through a lens where you're looking through your values. So rather than um, to feel the, the sting of that criticism, right, or sometimes we will become defensive when somebody, you know, confronts us in a way, especially if it's calling us a hypocrite, you know, if we could use that word in this situation. And I'm curious for you, both kind of in the moment or in the episode, you know, as you're coming out of that conversation, how you thought about it. And now looking back years later, 
how you wish you maybe would have processed it differently in order for it to really be a catalyst for change in your coaching. Yeah, and I think this is where it's so important to be intentional about this process. And that's why, you know, I really wanted to do these podcasts, Nate, is because when I look back on it, I said, you know what, he's right. Like, there's no reason I should have ever been cursing. There's no reason I should be getting kicked out of games or getting these technicals. Like, I'm not modeling my values. But all I did was really just kind of tone it back a little bit. I didn't really sit down and start to implement changes, right? And that's the challenge, right? We kind of, I was uncomfortable with the way I was coaching. The reality is I just didn't really understand a better way, know a better way, and then know how to get there. And so I kind of really wish that I had been more intentional about this process of kind of thinking about the way that I was, my behaviors and how they, you know, the, the ones that I need to, you know, like you, you talk about keep doing, but the ones I need, definitely need to stop doing because they weren't representing the person that I wanted to be, be as a coach. Now, Nate, for me, it was many years down the line that I feel like I really started to become a little bit more intentional in this process. Um, but even then, it's still like this ongoing process. For you, have you had some moments like yourself where you've kind of had a step back and say, whoa, this isn't, this isn't who I want to be as, as a coach right now? Well, I think one of the things when you're, when you're open to feedback, um, it isn't always in a, as direct a manner as what you experienced with that story. You know, I, I think of a time about, Probably my second or third year of coaching, I was at Louisa Muscatine, and um, we were on the road playing at, at Waco High School, kind of in southeast Iowa, small school, small gym, um, close game at the end of the first half, and uh, Waco's got the ball going length of the floor, you know, as the horn's about to expire, they throw it up ahead, um, and this girl catches it and just sort of throwing up this, you know, this heave at the buzzer, and one of my players comes running down to contest and runs through her shot right as the buzzer goes off, you know, and the girl had no chance to make it, but she gets fouled and she goes to the line. You know, she's going to shoot three free throws. And the foul occurred right in front of our bench, like literally about four feet in front of me. So here, Luds is standing there. My player's standing there. And, and in Iowa at the time, we actually had a seatbelt rule. So when the clock was running, we, coaches were not allowed to stand. But, of course, the horn goes off. So I, I jump up, you know, and I just, I'm right next to her. And I just yell, what are you doing? really loud okay and you know it's a small gym there's not a lot of people there I mean quite honestly it was really embarrassing for her because I just right in her face right there and so you know how basketball is at the end of the half we're all kind of congregated next to our bench but we can't go to the locker room until she shoots these free throws so so Ludz is at the opposite end of me right she's got a couple of her friends around her you know they're shooting free throws over here in front of us and I see that she's bawling right she's crying um not in the combination of because she made a mistake, because she feels like she hurt the team, but also because I embarrassed her, you know, in, in front of the whole gym or whatever. And so we go back into the locker room and, you know, I always start halftime by standing outside the locker room and talking with my coaches for a couple minutes. And, you know, I know what I'm about to walk into in there. I just don't know how bad it's going to be. Right. And, and so, and just in terms of her emotional state and then how the team's going to respond to that and, so we talk about a couple adjustments going go in and I'm you know I'm up on the board and I know as I'm saying here's things we want to do in the second half nobody's listening right because because she's sitting right across from me or two closest friends on either side arm around her she's trying to wipe the tears away you know and everybody's concerned about her and no one's listening to what I'm talking about and even me I'm not listening to what I'm talking about cuz I'm trying to figure out how do I get this team and how do I get her in a place where she's going to be able to play in the second half and you know, get through this and go out and be ready to perform. So we walk out of the locker room and I grab one of my captains as the team's walking back. And I just said, how's Em? And 
looks like while she's trying to get it together, but she's not very happy with you, you know, and that was pretty obvious, right? And so as they're coming off the floor, you know, with a couple minutes of shooting before we take the floor in the second half, I just grabbed Emily and I said, you know, I, I shouldn't have reacted that way. I apologize. And, you know, we're going to need you in the second half here. And, you know, I know you can play well for us or something like that. Kind of patted her on the back and sent her out there. And, you know, it wasn't this great reconciliation by any means. Um, but I, to me, it was important to acknowledge that I was wrong in that situation, right? And everything that we felt and experienced in the locker room was my fault. Her tears were my fault, right? And how she <laughs> felt about herself was my fault, okay? And beyond just the crippling effect that that had on our, our halftime and, you know, had on us in the third quarter as we were coming out, I really felt like, geez, this is not who I wanted to be. I mean, when you think about who I aspired to be as a coach and I want to impact kids and I want to be a, a, a person in their life that's supportive and that's encouraging, this was not it, right? This was not me at my finest moment. So my feedback of what I need to stop doing really came as a result of the effect that I saw that it had on the on the people that were immediately around me in that situation. And, you know, the, the end of that game was a kind of a happy ending because the same player were up by one with less than 10 seconds to go, and the other team has the ball throwing it in under their basket. They're running an inbounds play to get a shot to win, and Emily recognizes what they're running, peels off, and makes the steal, and, you know, we end up winning the game by one or three or whatever it was, and on the way home or on the road, you know, I sat next to her on the bus. I went into her seat and I said, hey, can we talk for a little bit? And we just sort of talked through, you know, a little bit longer apology as far as I was concerned of <laughs> who I want to be. And I, I really apologize. And I had a great relationship with her. Actually, was at her wedding this last past weekend. Um, and she just talked to me about what that made her feel like. And both of those things allowed me to kind of confront in that moment is this who I want to be and how did I allow myself to get there and responding, you know, to her mistake? And, and for me, that was kind of a, a, a flag in the ground where going forward, um, I don't know that I did anything real intentional other than really trying to be aware of how my actions and my words, what effect they were having on individuals and our huddles and our halftimes and our team. Um, and it isn't that I became much, you know, more reserved. I was just much more conscious of the, the power and the effect that I can have on our kids, have on our players, and really trying to leverage that in a much more positive way um, than what I was at that time. So Nate, I also think that it's not always gonna be when we get feedback from their people. I think sometimes our, our conscience, our, you know, our inner thinking will give us feedback when things are uncomfortable. You know, for instance, you know, we're both parents of, 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 of young, of, we have some young kids, right? So you have a daughter that's three, I got a daughter that's two and a half. And so we're both in kind of the same phase. So you can probably relate to this, but you know, there's a stage where my wife and I went from, okay, our job is to keep them alive to now our job is to actually raise a decent human being. And we both decided like early on, we don't want to just be parents to survive. We want to raise a good human being. Now the, the trick was as our daughter started to turn two, you know, like a normal two-year-old, she starts having outbursts and, you know, you have to step in and discipline. The reality was we, the only way we knew how to discipline at that stage was timeouts and spanking. We had no other, no other tools, no other methods. And so I can clearly remember this one time where my daughter does something that a normal two-year-old would do. We have to step in and, you know, bring some sort of discipline. And... I told my wife, well, you've got it this time. And my wife walks over to this, like our timeout bench and goes to like, do I need to spank her? I'm like, give her the nod, like, good luck. And she's just so uncomfortable, just like patting her on the butt, you know? And she's like, I can't do that. 
And for me, when I would spank, I would actually only do it kind of out of anger. And I recognized that. Like it wasn't a healthy type of way to discipline. And I felt really uncomfortable with it. My wife felt really uncomfortable with it. And so we stepped back and we said, well, this isn't the way that we're going to discipline them. This isn't the type of parents that we're going to be because it doesn't match up with our values. We don't care just about compliance and obedience. We're not just trying to survive as parents and get our kids to do the things we want them to do. We want to get our kids, you know, to raise great people. And so we've, we searched out and we researched, we did, and we found other ways to discipline that, you know, yes, you're going to get some obedience, but you're also going to build character and you're going to also nurture the relationship. And so sometimes it's not someone from the outside. Sometimes it's just listening to our, to, to, to our, to ourself, right? Because we know there's a better way out there. Well, and there are those moments in our lives where that conviction kind of sneaks up on us a little bit, you know, whether it's your conscience or whether it's just looking back and thinking, well, I didn't like the person I was in that situation. And I, I remember, I don't know what it is about coaches and the sidelines that bring out the worst <laughs> in us, but I remember another episode when I was at Springville about five years ago. Um, again, we were on the road and uh, should have been beating this team by probably 20 or 25, and it's an eight-point game with about four minutes to go. They're in a 2-3 zone, and so we're just kind of in this big space and just basically playing catch until they're going to come out of it and match up. And I've got a senior player again, right in front of me, in front of the bench, right? And uh, they, they throw her the ball, and it just, she's not guarded. There's not a defender within 10 feet of her. Ball goes through her hands and goes out of bounds right into our bench right here, right in front of us, right? And this time, like, I didn't yell, jump up and embarrass her and yell at her. I just sat there and stared at the floor. That was my reaction. So no reaction at all, okay? So anyway, we go on to win the game by 10 or 12, and as I'm watching the film that night, on Wednesdays, we have our Mental Health Wednesdays. It's kind of a team-building thing we do in the classroom every every Wednesday. And so um, I watched the film, and I, I saw my reaction to her mistake. And I just thought, again, this isn't who I, I want to be. Like, I felt that conviction like you're talking about in that moment. And so to start our Mental Health Day, I, I showed the video, and I titled the video, Look at This Idiot. And I showed the game film, and I, I blacked out kind of the area around me. There's a big spotlight on me on the bench. And you see the ball go out of bounds, and you see me just stare at the floor. Like, I don't look up. I don't react. I don't do anything, right? Um, and so we watched it a couple times, and then we started this conversation as a team where I, I asked Sydney, and again, I had a really good relationship with her, and I said, Sid, why don't you tell me um, how that felt when your coach, like, didn't even acknowledge your existence, when you're standing right next to him, we make this mistake, and he just stares at the floor. How did that make you feel? She's like, well, coach, that didn't make me feel very good. You know, she kind of went on to talk about that a little bit more. And she's like, even if you would have yelled at me, at least I would have known you were like with me. But you, it was almost like you were ashamed or, or afraid to, you know, be associated with my mistake. You know, she didn't say it that way, but that's essentially what she was trying to communicate. Right. And so that started this conversation that we went through with our team about how do we want to respond to each other when we make mistakes? How do you want your coach to respond to make you better for your next play, right? Which was them, like giving them the opportunity to speak into, again, helping to shape me to be a, a better person, a better coach, and more in line with who we wanted to be as a team and who I wanted to be as a person. And in a lot of ways, I, I like what you talked about with your, your wife, you know, you guys going through that together. Um, because a lot of ways, you know, we can sharpen each other, we can give each other perspective and, 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 um, enlist people that are able to not only see us at our best, but see, it as our, see us at our worst and be able to give us feedback and encouragement to help us to grow and become better people. 
Well, I think what's so cool is that you have gone through that process with your players. And I think that's what's so incredibly transformational. Like, let's go back to what Joe Ehrman says in Inside Out Coaching. He says, you know, sports don't build character unless the coach possesses it and teaches it. Now, you're not always going to possess the character, the values that you claim. You're going to make mistakes. When you do, like you yourself did, you know, being an idiot on the sideline, you took, you capitalized on that opportunity to teach character by showing through your own vulnerability that, and that you're imperfect and how to grow through that process. And so it's, you know, you're modeling character, you're modeling the ability to grow. And that's just such a, a powerful way to, to teach it. And I think too often, you know, we want to put it up on as some speech about, you know, things that they need to do. And this is what character is. But so often it's just like in these organic things that we don't plan, these are some of the greatest opportunities for us to teach character, I think, to, to the people that we coach. Well, and we use this phrase, seeing through your values or using your values as a lens. You know, one of the most important questions that we asked in that team meeting was, what would love look like in that situation? Like if the coach wanted to communicate that he's still with you and he supports you and he believes in you and, you know, you can go make the next defensive stop or whatever, what behavior would show that in that moment, right? And I think that's, you know, kind of what we're trying to drive towards here is that Mm -hmm. hanging values on the walls and writing them on a list is, it's great to, you know, serve as an orientation for how we think about the world. But if we're not willing to ask the question of what does, love look like here? What does empathy look like in this situation? And be able to pause and either dialogue with others or have that moment of reflection for ourselves. That's really that's really the place where we grow is in our willingness to, to ask those questions and then try to change coming out of those once we once we answer them. You know, I think that the thing about the values in our previous episode, I think what's so important about that is I think it just helps us to bridge the gap between our purpose and our behaviors. And it's just that little bit of a link. Now, kind of bridging off of that, one of Jerry's uh, Jerry's second question here was, what do I need to keep doing? And uh, I don't want to go down too far into this episode and feel like everything's about finding all of our faults um, and then trying to fix all of our, you know, our poor behaviors. Because there are times, you know, Joshua Metcalf talks about being able to identify your best self or your, your best sense of self. You know, Jerry talks about in his things of when you have those moments where you look back and you think that was awesome. You know, like you were really proud of who you were in that interaction, in that relationship, in that practice situation, when you responded to someone's mistake, when you responded to your child. Like those are also moments to capture and say, I want to keep doing that. You know, I think back to, again, 10, 15 years ago when I was at my first job at Louisa Muscatine, um, as happens in most high schools, our you know National Honor Society starts trying to raise money for one of their trips in the summer or whatever. Um, and so they start selling stuff, right? And of course, when you're a coach, like everybody comes to you to sell, you know, the cards and the coupons and whatever it is. So they were selling flowers that year on Valentine's Day and they were going to be delivered at lunch in the cafeteria on the day of Valentine's. So they come down and they ask me if I want to buy any flowers. And so I thought, you know, this would be cool to do for my players. And so, um, wrote a check and I bought a, a flower, one carnation for each of my players in the program that year. Um, and when you, when you get them, you, they gave us this little heart, right. That was cut out of construction paper, about probably the size of your palm, something like that. And on the front, it said to, and on the bottom, it said from, right. As any other Valentine would, but on the back, the black was blank. And I, I took some time, um, the day before, and I just wrote a really short, like personal message to each one of our players, ninth through 12th grade. 
just a short affirmation. Really glad you're on the team. This is what we love about you. Happy Valentine's Day, right? Something like that. And so on the, you know, at lunch that day, all these girls, you know, they get a Valentine for me and whoever else. Um, but like our practice that night was so awesome because, you know, like this little investment, this little note of appreciation for each one of them, just it meant so much, right? And the way that I felt because I made them feel so good about themselves, I thought I got to keep doing stuff like this. And so for the last 15 years, I've had this commitment of every Valentine's Day, everybody that plays for me gets a flower. And so this past year, you know, I'm at a school that's three times the size of that school was. I think we bought, my wife and I bought 45 or 50 carnations. And I wrote out personal notes to every kid, ninth through 12th grade, every secretary, janitor, trainers, uh, people in the financial office that help us during the year, just little real short notes of appreciation and dropped them off throughout the day. Um, and it was just such an awesome investment into those relationships. And for me, you know, again, we talk about not just feeling conviction when we are idiots, but also those moments of fulfillment where we think that is who I want to be. Like that felt like love acting through me. And that's what I want to be about, that we try to capture those and replicate those even more, right, when, when we see ourselves operating in the way that we would imagine our best self to be. You know, when I started this internal process, Nate, I think my biggest fear of reflecting on my behaviors was that I would be admitting that I wasn't just a bad coach, that I'd be admitting that I was a bad person. And I knew both of those weren't true. I knew those in my heart. Like, at that stage, yes, my relationships were suffering with players, but I had players that had, you know, flown over from Ireland to come to my wedding. Like, right, I had great relationships with some players. And so I have, had to come to this point where I had to realize that I wasn't saying that I was a bad coach. I wasn't saying I was a bad person. I was just saying there's a better way of doing things, right? Like my parents, you know, coming back to spanking thing, my parents had spanked me. They weren't bad parents, right? They did the best with what they, with what they knew. Right? And now there's more information out there. There's more you know, resources. And I'm able to find a better way to do things. And so as we go through this internal process, we don't have to be a different person. We're just working to be a better person. And so I was really challenged by my mentor, Jamie Gilbert, uh, years back. And he said, you know, go to 10 people in your life, you know, fellow coaches, peers, you know, other teachers, a student, a player, you know, your wife, a few family members. Ask them. What about me is, is unique? What about me moves the needle? You know, what, what's special? What do I bring to the table? And so I went around and I asked that, you know, um, to uh, various people. And something that came back through all those people was my passion, my enthusiasm. And for the longest time, I thought, well, you know, we talk about sideline behavior, right? You know, that's been a, kind of a reoccurring theme here, Nate. But, you know, my sideline behavior, I was passionate. I was energetic. The problem is it wasn't in the right way. And there was a better way that I could have been passionate. And so I, had, I, I learned I didn't need to stop being passionate. I didn't need to stop being enthusiastic. In fact, you know, for a while there, I felt like I was trying to, I was felt like I had to become John Wooden, like that stoic, you know, if you think Brad Stevens from the Celtics is stoic, I mean, Wooden was like, like just barely moved type of thing, right? That wasn't me. And I needed to be like that. I needed to, I didn't need to be the next John Wooden. I just needed to be the best JP Nurbin. And so that's what I started striving to do. And so I took my passion and I started to try to shape that into different forms based upon what my team needed in that moment. And that's what I think servant leadership's about. And when we're serving other people, is being the version of ourselves that they need in that moment. And that's, and that's getting over yourself, getting over your emotions, getting over the circumstances, and being about them. 
Well, I love that quote from Bob Goff where he says, you know, how's life working for those people that are around you? In a lot of ways, when we think about, am I manifesting my values? I mean, we look at how do my actions and, you know, whether it's leveraging our strengths, like you're talking about your passion, but looking at it through the lens of those people that are around us, right? Are we enhancing their lives? Are we, are we serving them, as you said? Are we encouraging them? Are we making them better people because of our intentionality, right, in trying to, to live our values in all of those relationships? And I think that's, that's not only the challenge, but that's really the, the focal point. It's like the fulcrum of, you know, this reflective process is how, how are my behaviors, right, affecting the people around me? That's another great mirror when we're looking at trying to capture those moments of when I'm at my best and maybe when I'm not. Yeah, I think it comes back to that that phrase uh, when I was saying, lead with your strengths, connect to your weaknesses. You know, you were building connections and relationships with your players. You were connecting with them because of some moments of you not at your best. But it's still, you talked about that the Valentine's Day thing. And you know, I know you, Nate, you are having, you're incredibly empathetic. You know, you're so kind and caring. and nothing and you needs to ever stop in that like you need to keep driving forward with that and that needs to be your leadership style and how that it's so cool how they work hand in hand you're able to when you screw up have those moments where you can still are able to maintain connections because you can bring that empathy to the table well and there's a certain amount of strength in that vulnerability too that i think again draws people in especially when you're in relationship is Again, we talked about this before of who I'm, I'm striving to be. This is who I want to be, and I'm not there yet. You know, I hope I'm closer to living my values more fully today than I was yesterday, but it's a constant process. It's a constant battle sometimes within, you know, when we're faced with challenging situations and interactions. Um, and I think there's grace with that, you know, hopefully with people that are close to you. I know with my players, just being vulnerable in those moments and saying, look at this idiot. How do, how do we want to really encourage each other when we make mistakes brought us closer together. Right. And it allowed us to talk about behaviors that didn't just make me a better coach, but made them better teammates for each other. Um, you know, going forward that year. So I think embracing even those moments of failure, as you said, um, kind of brings us to our third question here that, that Jerry talks about, which is what do we need to start doing? You know, sometimes, I think we fail in our lives to take advantage of um, opportunities for new beginnings, right? And, you know, some of those are naturally built into our calendar when we can pause and reflect and think, okay, we're starting a new school year, right? We just started a new school year. So what do I want to start doing this year? You know, if I want to be a more encouraging educator, I want to get better feedback, I want to be more honest, whatever it might be, how do I start doing those things? You know, those new beginnings give us an opportunity to start those. And sometimes that's that's bigger opportunities. That's a child being born. It's a new job. It's a new season. It's a new school year. It's a new summer, um, you know, where you get to plot out a little bit more, maybe your time and be a little more intentional. But even moments of failure like that can be opportunities for new beginnings. Certainly coming out of that team meeting with us, you know, we talked even in that day's practice of we're going to make mistakes today. So let's try to do the things that we mentioned in that meeting to respond to each other to make us better, right? That became like a new beginning for that day for us. And I think trying to leverage those and capture those can be really powerful moments where we can just pause and say, I didn't like this. I want to start doing this. And I'm going to start today. I'm going to start with this new school year. I'm going to start with today's practice after we had this conversation about my failure moving forward. Yeah, and I think 
I'd love to be able to say, you know, there's this, this was the turning moment, the turning point for me. This was the big moment of change. In fact, I'd love to say that when that parent gave me that feedback, that I corrected all those behaviors the next day. And I never cursed, I never yelled at referee, but that's not the case, right? I think it's just a continuous process. Even with, with the spanking and my daughter, I'd love to say that was the last time I, we ever spanked. It wasn't, you know, like we, you still fall back into these habits and these behavior. I've come to realize that we need these moments of truth. We need these feedback from parents, um, from players, from mentors, from people to help us be aware of our behaviors on a constant daily basis. We need it from ourselves. We need to be reflecting on this because we need every day needs to be, like you said, like every, every opportunity, every mistake we make is a turning point. And if I had to say really, where did I start to really drive my change in my behaviors? I, ha- I have to say it was when I started to become vulnerable about the fact that I wasn't perfect. And you're like, you know, you having those moments. I think that's, those moments were when I really started to, to, to really grow as a coach. When I could turn to my players and say, you know what, the way I did things, that wasn't the best way. And I'm working and I'm striving to, to be better. When I think those, those conversations are so important, you know, and bringing people alongside, I think back to the end of our last season, um, and it was a challenging season for us. And um, the day after our banquet, you know, my inbox is just blowing up with, uh, it must have been like Festivus Day. Everybody was airing their grievances, you know, with the coach. <laughs> From that season and so you know i'd get an email and read it and forward to the ad and then i'd get another one and then another one it was like that day was the day that was declared we will now air our grievances with our coach <laughs> but you know one of the things that was awesome about that is is that i was able to again try to sift through some of that feedback and some of that criticism again looking at it through the lens of our values you know the values that we were trying to to aspire to in our program and for who I wanted to be as a person. But then from there, what I had in front of that was um, exit interviews with all of our players. So all you know, I had 13 or 14 varsity players that I met with over the course of the next six weeks. And we talked about some of that feedback, right? And so I would say, you know, here are some things that I've heard about how the season went for some of our players or about how, you know, my behaviors affected the team or whatever, and asking them what their perspective on that was, you know, and again, drawing them into that process. Um, I think it helped to enhance my relationship with those players and helped them to see that, you know, there were things that they may have been frustrated with me too, but I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to learn and hopefully modeling that for them makes them more comfortable when they make mistakes or when I'm part of their process, right, for for growing as a person, growing as a leader, growing as a teammate. And it isn't always easy to do. You know, that vulnerability piece is important for building relationships, but it can be a scary place, as we've talked about before, but I think there's so much value in the growth that can come from that, that we have to embrace it if we really want to make strides forward in our lives to, to enhancing and to living by those values that we identified. So Nate, let's get into some kind of ways that we can intentionally create these moments of reflection and feedback. Um, one way that I did that really helped me through this process was that I kind of got a mentor outside uh, of my of my circumstances. I've shared that before uh, on the podcast, uh, Jamie Gilbert, I was working with him, but I also found some people inside my circle uh, that I really, you know, an assistant coach. Um, I actually went to a few players, was vulnerable with them, that I was really trying to make great strides in the way that I was as, as a coach. And then I encouraged them to give me honest feedback 
Uh, and I kind of laid it out how I wanted that and when I wanted it, right? And, and the appropriate time and place. But I encouraged them to give me that feedback at different times because I felt like it was so necessary that it wasn't just my own personal reflections, but I was getting the outside because I think sometimes the way we perceive the way we're doing things um, isn't actually how they're actually being perceived by everybody else. Uh, JP, I think that's a great activity. You know, another thing that's very similar to the activity I described last week with do's and bees is really thinking about and being meticulous about describing the future you that you want to become. And this this kind of became real for me. I took a group of students, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago as a teacher. We went to some leadership training um, with some Franklin Covey people. And so we had about 20 students. And one of the activities that they did was the do's and bees, right? And so they were, they told the kids, they gave them paper and markers, and they were supposed to draw somebody that they looked up to in their life and then identify, you know, those adjectives and those behaviors. And literally, over the course of doing this for a few years, I had about a dozen kids draw me. And then afterwards, they gave them to me at the end of this you know, leadership seminar. In fact, we have them framed somewhere in our house here. We used to have them up on the wall in our library. And, you know, when I thought about that, like, that was really, to me, the feedback that I made me reflect on how are kids seeing me? And are they seeing who I want them to see, the, the, the person that I would want them to look up to? And so, you know, coaches, as you're sitting out there trying to think about what my values look like, maybe it's worth taking out a piece of paper and just sketching out, you know, your future you or your ideal self and how your students, how your players, how your kids, how your spouse, how you want them to see you and be very specific about, again, those adjectives that might be, might be different. They might be different manifestations of the values we talked about last week, but also the behaviors that you would want them to see that would show that you're loving or empathetic or caring or faithful or whatever those words might be. Um, but doing that activity based on your future you can really um, sort of align that compass uh, toward your ideal self and the person that you're really trying to become. Nate, I think that's a fantastic activity to do. And one other thing I would suggest for coaches to do at some stage along their career is to at least when they film their game, you know, try to have the camera where they can see themselves or maybe even put another camera on just yourself during a game, put your phone in your pocket, record yourself, you know, do something where you can actually take the time to be intentional and to break down your coaching behaviors, the way that you're, you're behaving on the sideline, the way that you're talking to your players in a practice. You can even film yourself in a practice. I think it's a really cool intentional way to say you're literally going to see yourself, especially if you do the video. Like, is that the per coach that I want to be? Like, am I am I move am I moving towards that future future me? Um, and, and obviously, that's you know you're not going to do that every day, right? You know, no, no, very few coaches would have the time to do that. But we can still do it in a very kind of a simple way in a daily process. When it could be on the drive home from practice, it could be the next day in the morning, sitting down with a journal and kind of walking through, you know. The things that happened and how did I respond? You know, how did I respond to those moments when things didn't go exactly the way I wanted? And it's because re it's really important to to really ask that question. You know, I know Joshua talk, Metcalf talks about this when it comes to true mental toughness of, you know, am I living by my principles, all right, or am I living by my feelings or my circumstances? And so I'd say the same with values. You know, am I living out my values? Or am I just responding to how I feel in that moment and the, or the circumstances I'm presented with? And, and so 
this, you know, this process of reflection, like I said, it can be done in a formal way of, of filming yourself, but also can be just done in a very small way of just sitting down and kind of going through mentally in your head how that practice or game went. The big question I ask myself is, were my behaviors governed by my values or how I felt in that moment? All right, that's it for today. If you found this episode beneficial, please support the podcast by sharing it with other coaches, sharing it on Twitter and Facebook and all the other social media platforms you're on. Nate and I would love to hear from you as well. You can find our information in the details of this episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to the weekly newsletter at thriveonchallenge.com to get today's coaching notes. Thanks again for listening in.